not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Turning now to Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, that we get to come together to hear it. Lord, we do ask that even now, um, after having just heard the word, Lord, would you pierce our heart so that we might see our sins and repent? Lord, we do thank you for the work that you are doing in our missionaries, Cam and Kristen, and we thank you for the fruit that they're seeing in their ministry but Lord, we do ask that you would sustain them in their strength and their zeal for your name and ask that you would continue to work mightily in and through them. Also, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters at Selwood Church, and we ask that there your people would worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, be with their pastor, Jeff, and give him boldness to preach the word as is fitting, but Lord, give him a love for your people just as you love them. And Lord, do the same here among us. Be with me, calm my, calm my heart, and Lord, may I rightly handle your word this morning for the good of your people and the glory of your name. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's a wonderful thing to have your debts forgiven. Kids, if you ever deserved to be disciplined for disobeying your parents, only for them to show you mercy by removing that consequence for your actions, well, it's pretty sweet, isn't it? I'm speaking from experience. I've had that happen, and it is wonderful. Now, I'm not speaking from experience here, but if you've ever been pulled over for speeding only to receive a warning, well, then once again, you know the relief of having your debt forgiven. To have our debts forgiven is is wonderful and all, but 
all at the same time, if every debt were forgiven, well, we probably wouldn't like that either. While we want our debts to be forgiven, we don't always want other people's debts to be forgiven. If you have an enemy, per se, which I'm sure you do, you might prefer to see them get what they deserve rather than to receive forgiveness. You see, we love it when the bad guy gets what he deserves. And I want us to feel the tension here because on one hand, we want forgiveness for our debts, but on the other, when we have debtors who have sinned against us, well, we want justice or maybe rightly put, we want revenge. So kids, after you sin, you probably want your parents to, to have mercy and remove that punishment. But when your sibling sins against you, do you want them to be forgiven? No. That's why you go tell on your, your sibling. You go tell your parents, you're a tattle, and you go tell them because you want justice. Or if we're caught speeding, we might hope to be let off on a warning, but when someone cuts you off in traffic, well, I don't think I'm the only one who has hoped that a cop would be there to pull them over when they wrong me. You see, we all want forgiveness when we are the one who has a debt that needs to be paid. But when someone owes us, well, we can be rather slow to forgive because we want justice. And our God, he gives both. God has revealed him as such to Moses. In Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So our God is one who forgives sins, but he also punishes sin. This is because our God is both merciful and gracious and all the same, he is just. And so what will he do with us? Will he forgive us of our sins or will he judge us for our sins? Well, that entirely depends on whether you repent of your sin or not. So it's no wonder that when the Lord taught his disciples to pray, he instructed them and us to pray like this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you think that forgiveness of a discipline or being let off on a warning when you deserve a ticket sounds sweet, well, let me tell you, there is no sweeter forgiveness nor one that is more precious than that of which we are instructed to pray for. Here's what I want us to see. We are to pray for the forgiveness of our debts because our sin comes at a cost. And so while we all long for justice when sin runs rampant in the world, we must recognize that if justice were paid equally to all apart from God's mercy and grace, well then, we would all have a price to pay for our sin. At the very foundation of the gospel is this. We are all sinners who apart from Christ rightly deserve the wrath of God because of our sins. Romans 6.23 puts it this way, for the wages of sin is death. And so if you sin, 
understand this, you deserve to die. And it doesn't matter how big or small your sin is. You don't even need to be a murderer in order to deserve death. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So has anyone ever been angry with someone in the last week? How about in the last few hours? I can tell you that every single time I get in my car and drive, just about all the time, I end up calling someone a fool. And it's not that funny because that means I have a heart of a murderer. And I deserve the hell fire of eternal death. And then again, you don't even need to commit adultery with one of the members of your body to be an adulterer. Jesus again said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You understand the weight of our sin? Let me read one of the many lists that Paul gives us of sins, all of which lead to death. Romans 1, 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Here's a fun one. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, death for being disobedient to your parents. Well, seems like a steep cost, doesn't it? Shouldn't disobedient to our parents lead to something more along the lines of maybe being grounded or, or time out, or maybe even at its worst, a spanking? But death, well, that seems a bit extreme. And you'd be right to think that if your sin was simply against another person. But when we sin, be it through disobedience or any other sin, like that of being boastful or being a gossip, when we sin, we do not just sin against man, but rather when we sin, we sin against God. And some of us not might not understand how this is possible, how we could possibly sin against the God who we have never seen, but it's quite simple. If you have ever done anything that God has commanded you not to do, then you have sinned against God. You may have not realized that you were sinning against God, but this ignorance to the severity of your sin does not make you innocent of the penalty of sin. All sin is chiefly sin against God that makes us deserving of eternal death in hell. King David knew this to be true. Remember David in his own sin, he committed adultery and then he murdered a man to try to cover his tracks. And David's sins were done against other people on this horizontal plane. But in response to his sins, David, he penned this psalm of repentance where he prayed to God like this. Against you, you only have I sinned 
and done what is evil in your sight. So all of us have sinned, and in all of our sin, we chiefly sin against God. Your sins might be comparably small to that of some like David, or they might be far too big to keep track of. But in either case, the cost of our sin, no matter what, is death. Even a seemingly small sin like eating forbidden fruit is not small at all, for it has dreadful consequences. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so why is the cost of sin so severe? Well, let me illustrate it like this. If you, let's just say this morning, were to take your shoe off and throw it at me, well, consequences wouldn't be that bad because I am of relatively low importance. But if you were to do that same thing to, let's just say, the president of the United States, oh, you can imagine you would be in a world of hurt. Now, in both cases, the sin is the same but what's different is who you have sinned against. And so if the consequences of sinning against the president is so severe, well, then how much more severe is the cost of sinning against our eternally and infinitely holy God? Since we have sinned against God, death is our due. Sin has its price, and that price is death. But the good news of the gospel is this. Our God has made a way for our debts to be forgiven. Read again Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How is this possible? How can a good and just God who does not clear the guilty, how can he possibly give us eternal life when what we deserve is eternal death? Well, Paul, he tells us, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, he sent his son into the world to, to die, the death that we all deserved, so that we might be counted righteous so that we might receive forgiveness. And so all of us who have ever confessed our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ, hear this. We are saints who have been forgiven. Paul said it elsewhere. He said that in this, God has become both the just and the justifier. And so we are able to ask God to forgive us our debts because Jesus has died in our place. And there on the cross, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The debt that we once owed because of our sin has been paid for by Christ on the cross once and for all. And all those who believe in Jesus Christ can now stand before God being declared justified, that is the perfect, just, and holy God. He looks at our record of sin and no longer sees all that we have done wrong, but instead he sees our Savior's active obedience as if it were our own. And as such, our ledger of debt has been cleared. And so before the judgment seat of God, those who are in Christ are judged as if 
they have never sinned. And thanks be to God that we can ask for the forgiveness of our debts because that price for sin is so steep. But while the price for our sin is severe, we have more reasons to pray for forgiveness as well. You see, we are to pray for the forgiveness of our debts because we could never repay the debt that we owe. If we were left to ourselves to try to deal with our debt of sin, we would never be able to pay off one cent of it. Let me illustrate it this way. Consider for just a moment our national debt. Our national debt is is quite large to say it mildly. According to the U.S. debt clock, our our national debt is that of $29 trillion. That's with a T. 29 with 12 zeros after it. I can hardly fathom what one trillion is, yet alone 29 trillion. But let me try to put this into some way that we can comprehend it. If our nation, nation, excuse me, was to try to pay off that debt through our tax dollars, well, then every taxpayer would need to fork up $230,000. Now, as a taxpayer, I do not have $230,000 laying around to give to Uncle Sam. And my guess is most of us don't have that kind of money either. But even if you did have $230,000 to spare, you would only be one taxpayer contributing to our nation's $29 trillion debt. Once again, let me try to put it another way to give us some perspective. Take the three richest people in the U.S. They're all multi-billionaires. And if you were to try to bring all their net worth together and they were to sell it all and give it all, to pay off that debt, or to at least cut it down, they would only make a 0.0016% difference in that debt. In other words, they wouldn't even make a dent. Our national debt is unfathomably large, but all the more so is our debt to God because of sin. Listen, there is no amount of work that we could ever do to repay God for what we have done. Even if you were able to cease from sinning today and no longer sin for the rest of your life and only do all that which is good and right and pleasing to God, you would still never be able to repay the debt that your sin has caused. Add to this, if you were to uproot your life and become a missionary to the unreached people of the world, you would still never be able to repay the debt that your sin has caused. Let's go one step further. If you were to never sin again, and if you were to become a missionary, and then you were to, at the end of your life, after living a faithful life, be killed and martyred for the sake of the gospel, your works would contribute absolutely nothing to the debt that you owe. Doing good works to try to repay God for your sin is no more effective than trying to make a down payment on a mansion with Monopoly money. Your good works to remove your debt of sin are no more effective than leaving your house's doors and windows open to try to increase the temperature of the cold fall breeze. But you shouldn't take my word for it. Listen to how Jesus put it. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So can our righteousness and our good works merit heaven? Well, consider that of the Pharisees. 
their righteous record. These men were the most law-abiding Jews in Jesus' day. They were so zealous to obey the law that they would tithe everything, including the spices in their cupboards. If I were a Jewish father during the first century, well, I would hope that my boy would grow up to be a Pharisee. And again, if I were a, a Jew in first, the first century, I would hope that my daughter would have a Pharisee as a husband. The Pharisees were the most righteous men among the Jews. But Jesus tells us that even their righteousness is not enough to save them from their sin. So if we, if we wish to be saved and not face the penalty of our debt, well, then we need a better record of righteousness than what the Pharisees had. What is needed is not to improve our record of debt. What is needed is to be forgiven of our debt. And then in its place, what we need is the righteous record of Jesus in our place. Paul, after recalling all of his works of righteousness, he, he called it this. He, he referred to it like this in Philippians 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so if we wish to live forever rather than facing the torment of hell, well then our debts must be dealt with. And what we need, we cannot offer. And so all we can do is go to our heavenly father and ask him to forgive us. And it's only on that basis that we can have any confidence that our debts would be paid. And that part in it is not received by our works, but only through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So all the more we ought to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And it's a good thing, too, that our salvation is dependent on Christ's work and not our own. For if salvation were dependent upon ourselves, well, then we would have no hope of ever being saved. Now, up to this point, we've talked about our need for forgiveness primarily from the perspective of those who have yet to be justified. That is, they're not Christians. They have never confessed their sin. And they do not believe in Jesus. And at that moment, when they do, for the first time, confess their sins, they are completely clean. So it is of all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. But for those of us who have been forgiven already, in what sense do we need to continue to pray for forgiveness? Should a Christian who has been justified continue to, to ask and pray that God would remove our debts? Well, yes. Michael Kephart, we were talking about this the other day. He said, Jesus said so, so of course you should. But more than this, I want to remind us that this prayer is offered by those who call upon God as Father. And so even those who have already received the forgiveness and have been adopted into the family of God, even us, we are to continue to pray all the more that God would forgive us of our debts day by day because saints are still sinners. The petition for forgiveness is one that we all must pray for daily. Just as we are to ask for God for daily bread, so too we ought to go to God daily and ask for the forgiveness of our sins. But 
We shouldn't only pray this daily. We ought to stop and pray this prayer every time we have an awareness of our sin. And this prayer, it does not have to be a a long prayer like the Gentiles remember from the beginning of this series. But in our prayer, we should continue to pray persistently with unceasing prayer that God would forgive us our debts. This week, I I have wrestled with my own sin greatly. I have had this increased awareness of how unworthy I am before God on my own account because I sin over and over and over again. And I find in my members a law that is opposed to that of which God has given. And so I continue to ask God for forgiveness all the more of my debts because I am a great sinner and my God is a great savior. Martin Luther taught us this. He taught us that Christians are simultaneously saints and sinners. And I agree with this assessment, even though it might sound like a contradiction on the surface. You see, Psalm 32 puts it this way. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Understand for a moment what David is saying. David is not saying that those who are blessed are those who have never sinned. He is not saying those who are blessed are those who have ceased to sin. Rather, David is saying that sinners are blessed only because the Lord has forgiven their sins. Friends, that is what a saint is. A saint is not a saint because he has stopped sinning. We are only made saints because Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our debts. John puts it this way, again in 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, consider for just a moment, who is John writing to? Is he writing to those who have denied Christ? Those who are outside of the church? No. He's writing to Christians who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and have received the forgiveness for their sins. But he tells those same saints that if they say that they have no sin, it is owing to the fact that they are deceived and do not have the truth. And there are plenty of us who would doctrinally confess that we are sinners. We might say, yeah, chief of sinners, yep, that's me. But we don't actually feel the weight of our sin. And as such, we don't actually confess that we have sinned. And so we don't posture ourselves like the tax collector who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but instead beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. Listen, we need to do far more than simply pray for the forgiveness of sins. We need to actually feel the weight of our sins. And this isn't as easy as it sounds because we have an enemy who is a deceiver who will try to cover up the truth. You see, though we should repent of our sins, so often we instead excuse our sin. Though we have sinned by taking the forbidden fruit and eating it, we have this audacity to point the finger at God and our wife saying, the woman you gave to me, she is the one who gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Such an excuse was a foolish attempt for Adam to pardon his sin. But we do it all the time. We reason with ourselves, well, I'm angry with my brother, 
but it's his fault for making me angry. After all, he's the worst. Or when we lust, we dismiss it thinking, well, if she would not have dressed like that, then I would not have looked at her, so it's her fault and not mine. Or we think, the reason I do not love Christ more than all these things is because I am so busy. And we come up with 10,000 other excuses why our sin is not our fault. But can we just look at the plank in our eye and call it what it is? It is our sin. And as such, we need to repent. Even those of us who have been redeemed still have a need for ongoing, regular repentance. And though we should repent of our sin, we not only excuse our sins, but we go even further to deny them. You know, even though we kill our brothers with our own hands, we often deny our sin, saying that we are not our brother's keeper. But such a denial did not fool God, nor did it pardon Cain's sin. And so denying our sin will not make us guiltless either. Again, we say, yeah, I'm angry, but my anger is a righteous anger. Really? Has your anger actually caused you to pursue righteousness, to love God and to love your neighbor? Or has it instead fueled your gossip and hatred instead? Or when we lust, we deny it all together because we don't think we actually acted on it. But we know from what Jesus has taught us that lust is not something that needs to happen in our members, but it simply happens through the eye and in the mind. When we think, I do love Jesus, I really do, but I also love my house and my family. And don't you know it's Sunday and there's football going on? But I do love Jesus, even though no one would be able to tell by looking at my life. You see, we might try to deny any number of sins, but denying our sins does not pardon us from sin either. So even though we know we need to repent, we so often are tempted by the deceiver to try to, to do everything else that we might do to, to pardon ourselves. But friends, saints, do not do these things. But instead, come to your Father in prayer and confess your sins knowing this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, friends, why, why would we excuse or deny or even try to self-will our sin away through works when God has given us all that we need to cleanse us from our debt? Listen, instead of coming up with these excuses, instead of denying and instead of trying to manage sin, just try this, confess it, for your God will forgive you. He has promised that he will. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Oh, that we would be confident in our standing as saints who are justified not trying to cover ourselves up with fig leaves, but instead confessing our sins. But let us not be too confident in our own justification so as to not cause for us to continue to uproot sin and not confess sin. 
We may have been cleansed from all sin, but we still need to repent of our sin and ask God to forgive us our debts. And so we ought to pray all the more. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We pray this not because we have lost our salvation. We don't need to be rebaptized next week. But instead, we pray this because we are sinners whose feet have been defiled because we have walked through the dirt. And so feel the weight of your sin and repent. And not only will you feel the weight of your sin if you do so, but you will feel the far surpassing weight of God's love and his mercy and his grace. For our God's forgiveness, it is inexhaustible. And so is this, pen, this petition. Brothers and sisters, we ought to pray this prayer all the way, even to the end of our life. Yes, even on our deathbed because we will continue to rely upon grace from sunup until sundown. But God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess them. So, so do that. Pray this petition all the more. And as you do, you will experience more and more of God's mercy. And the more we feel God's forgiveness, the more we will love our Redeemer. Jesus said we would. Listen to the way he taught this. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Oh, that we would feel the weight of our sin as we ought to. Oh, that we would rightly see how great our debt is so that we might get a more accurate sense as to the greatness of God's love. And as we grow in our knowledge of our sin, may we also grow in a knowledge of God's grace. And as we do so, may our love for Jesus grow deeper and deeper. And as our love grows, then let us lavish our Lord with our love and affection. And let us worship, not reserved and restraining, pulling back, but instead let us worship him in the way that this woman had loved her redeemer. For he had forgiven her much. And he has forgiven us greatly too. Those who have been forgiven will be changed. And this leads us to a brief word on that little line that follows this fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We could spend another day just talking about what this line means. Jesus, he goes further and elaborates on this line immediately following the Lord's prayer when he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so here's what I want us to see. 
Those who have been forgiven by God cannot help but to forgive those who have sinned against them. Remember all the previous points up until now. First, we saw that sin has a cost. We deserve death because we have sinned against an infinitely holy God and compared to our sins, what does our enemy have against us? What, what have they done to us? Your enemy is selfish, but selfishness does not mean they deserve death. And so if our God has forgiven me, well, then certainly I can forgive them. And after that, we talked about how we could never repay the debt that we owed. Again, compare our own sin against God to the sin that our enemies had done against us. We could never have repaid God for our sin against him, but even still, he forgives us. But if even someone, let's just say, they, they really messed up, they totaled your car, well, even that debt, though great, could still be paid and is infinitely small compared to that which we have already been forgiven of. So again, if God has forgiven us of our infinite debt, certainly we can forgive those who have great debts against us. And thirdly, we saw that though we are saints, we continue to sin. In fact, we keep sinning against God over and over and over again, and yet he is continually faithful to show us his, his grace and mercy. And so one last time, compare our sin against God to that of our enemies who have sinned against us. Even the worst of enemies don't sin against a man as often as we sin against God, and yet he forgave us. And so how much more then should we forgive our enemies well, you'll remember Peter's question that was read during the scripture reading this morning. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? In other words, must I completely forgive him? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Oh, that we would lose count by the time we got past seven. You see, we all want our debts to be forgiven, but when someone owes us, we're quick to, to want justice. We'll call it what it is. It's vengeance. We might be keeping track of their sins, counting it just like it's baseball. Strike one, strike two, strike three. You're out of here. We might even skip the first two strikes and go straight for revenge. How could we possibly withhold forgiveness from our enemies when our God has forgiven us our infinite debt? Well, Jesus tells us how. The only way we can hold this kind of grudge against our enemy is if we have never received the forgiveness from God. If you're a mortgage, your student loans, your car payments, and all your credit card charges were forgiven. And not only that, but if you were then to be given an inheritance that was beyond what you could ever imagine, would you really care about the debt that your enemy still owed you? You've been given an eternal inheritance. Are you still keep, keeping track of, of a $5 lunch? If you have been forgiven an infinite debt, then there is no way that you could possibly withhold forgiveness from your debtors. Paul, he sums it up beautifully. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
How did God in Christ forgive us, church? Look at the cross and you will see. Even after we abandoned Jesus, even after we denied him before men, and after we chose a criminal over the innocent one, even after we stripped him, beat him, mocked him, whipped him, pierced him, and hung him, what did Jesus do? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Does someone owe you a quick buck? Maybe they owe you more than that. And if you've been keeping track of it, well then, again, repent and ask God to forgive you of your debt. And even while you're repenting, go a little bit further and pray for your enemy as well. Oh, that we would forgive just as we have been forgiven. Church, our God has paid our debt. He has died in our place. So let us never stop asking him forgiveness. And let us never stop forgiving our enemies. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you now humbly as sinners who have no right in and of ourselves to look up to you, let alone call you our Father. Lord, our, our lips are unclean, and we dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And if it were not but for your mercy, Lord, we would be utterly consumed. And so, Lord, even now, we confess and ask that you would forgive us of our debts. Lord, give us a heart that is changed. Lord, even as we look at the weight of sin, Lord, may we feel all the more the weight of your love. And as we do, Lord, give us a heart to forgive our enemies. We can't do this apart from you, and so we come to you dependent and ask for these things in Christ's name. Amen.